Hello, and, and welcome to the Plus Up podcast brought to you by Media Plus Advisors. I'm Carly Feinstein, one of the partners at Media Plus Advisors. Our mission is to solve complex media issues as a full service advisory. We started Media Plus Advisors because we believe media performance and partner relationships can be improved with a fresh approach built to focus on what works for the demands of today's media ecosystem. I'm joined today by my partner, Susan George and Perry Ann Grignan. Perry Ann, can you introduce us to today's guest? I sure can. Thanks, Carly. Today we're welcoming John Nardone. John is the CEO of Flash Talking. And we're going to talk about streaming TV, and which is the really the growing key element of any video media plan today. Uh, but first, some background and a little bit of introduction before I ask John to talk. Um, I've known John since he was at Modem Media and I was at AT&T. And I think I first met him when he came into my office and he was looking for money to actually fund um, the first ad that Modem um, put on the internet. Uh, that was certainly a long time ago and a lot has happened since then, but neither of us have lost our passion you know, for marketing and especially for digital. What a career John's had. You know, most people think of John as an ad tech pioneer, you know, started marketing mixed modeling with a bunch of people and, you know, started DSPs and DMPs. But there are two things that I always think of when I think of John Ardone. The first is he is singularly the best leader that I have ever been around. And as much as we think of John as an ad tech person, he's a brand person. And when, so today, when we talk about, you know, how to make things relevant for brands, I think that John does a great job at pulling those things together. So John, tell us what's new at Flash Talking? What are you guys doing? Give us a little bit of intro and then pass it back to me. And I'll be ready with our first question. Well, well, first, thank, thank you for that introduction. That's about the most flattering thing anybody said to me in a long time. So thank you for that. Um, for, for, for folks... Um, listening, Perianne gives me way too much credit for that first ad on the internet because it was Perianne who said yes, and it was the AT&T you will ad that was in fact the first paid ad ever on the internet. So um, she owns as much of the the, the right to that first ad uh, the, as I do for sure. Um, and uh, we, we did a lot of things together in those early days in 1994, 1995, and 1996 in the early days of the internet. Um, uh, to sort of set the stage for what we're dealing with today. Um, but but here we are, uh, here I am at Flash Talking. Um, I, I joined Flash Talking in 2015, and uh, Flash Talking is the world's only media independent ad server. And we're focused on the needs of sophisticated clients who believe that it's important that they own and control their media data, um, which is something you know you think that people take for granted, but with a lot of other platforms, particularly with the world walled gardens, that's not the case. You don't actually own or control your data when you work with those uh, the walled gardens as ad tech partners. Um, the things that we we help clients with in terms of that data is to use it for personalization, um, to manage and orchestrate identity across their ad tech stack, and to do advanced analytics to understand. Uh, what's really working um, in their digital advertising, both from a media perspective and from a creative perspective. 
Boy, that sounds like it's so exciting. You know, before you just joined us and dialed in to join the podcast here, Susan and Carly and I were just talking about the shows that we're streaming. Yeah. And nowhere in that conversation, you know, do we use the word television, right? We're using, well, what are we streaming? What are we watching? What are we binging? So let's focus as a first question on one of the biggest shifts in media mix that's happening right now, and that is the shift to video, OTT, the CTV ecosystem at large. So um, at Flash Talking, you're working with some really smart marketers, right? They're pretty demanding. You know, they want to make sure their data is being used in the right way and that they're presenting their brands in a relevant way. So at Flash Talking, how are you helping marketers, you know, with this shift? Well, it, it's it's a it's an interesting question for me to answer, Perian, because there's two there's two different answers because a lot of those streaming services are actually our clients, so Disney Plus and Sling and HBO Max and in the UK ITV and BBC BritBox are all flash talking clients. So on one hand, we're helping those companies actually acquire their subscribers. Um, and you know, this is again, when you think about the competitive frame that they face, obviously they think of YouTube as a competitor. And so they may not want, um, to have all of their data sitting on the parent company of YouTube. Um, and so we've been really fortunate to be in a position, uh, to be sort of a natural partner for those companies as marketers acquiring consumers. Um, so we do a lot of that work um, for them um, and have been able to do some very cool things creatively with live, um, you know, uh, content that they can pump into the ads to demonstrate what content they have that's for different audiences and so forth. So they're really fun clients to work with on that respect. Then on the other side of the ledger for our other clients, all of a sudden you see um, CTV and OTT and streaming services beginning to pop in their media plans um, within their the, their digital buys um, and their their video buys, and that's that's an interesting phenomenon for us because we're not involved in the decision of what to buy. That's the realm of a DSP. What, where we come in is once that impression has been bought, we've got to deliver the assets to the end user's screen so that they appear and render the right way. And very often getting the right asset from a personalization standpoint so that we create as much relevance as possible for that for that end user. Um, and, and for that, there are a lot of challenges. This is a, a very, very new space that frankly has, has sort of burst upon us um, before it was ready in a lot of ways because of COVID has, has really accelerated consumer migration to streaming services because we're all stuck in our house for way too many hours now looking for things to do. And so we're seeing what what what's available to stream. And, and so the usage is spiked. And of course, advertisers follow the eyeballs. Um, but it's still really the early days. There aren't a lot of standards in place. Um, there are holes in measurement, um, and, and most challenging, um, you've got an environment where the creative assets are not always available in the way that you would like them to be to take advantage of the medium. So um, advertisers are playing a lot of catch up right now, um, and we're helping them um, with the tools to be able to get the right creative to the right place. Um, we're working together with our advertiser partners on building next generation measurement, uh, particularly for cross screen so that your digital 
video buys are can be measured in concert with your linear video buys in in a coherent way um and um you know sharing best practices um in these early days as as we're able to look across clients and see what's working and and what's not working so interesting. It's funny. I'm um, going back to the streaming clients you mentioned as you are naming them off. I, I think I subscribe to all of them. So to make your job easier, your next client, you should probably just ping me and tell me to get on and subscribe it because I probably will. So, um, but talk. You know, we spent a uh, dug into the content of Advertising Week uh, last month, and you know, connected TV and OTT was a big part of that. But you know, the common theme we heard was that marketers are really jumping into this space, and you know, you were mentioning it without there really being any industry standards to measurement and reporting. And you know, I think uh, you're a founding member of the IAB, so you might have some thoughts on strong opinions on these standards. Can you share a little bit of your perspective with us? Well, sure. I mean, the, the first is, you know, a lot of times you'll find I can be very militant uh, about these things and, you know, pound my fist on, but I'm much more forgiving actually, because it really is happening incredibly quickly. And it's not for lack of people trying to get standards in place. Um, it, this is a complicated space. Um, you know, I give, give the example, um, you know, there are so many different devices and channels and way that content um, is going to be per ads are purchased. So you do an upfront buy with NBC and as part of that upfront buy for linear, you get a bunch of digital video included in the buy and that digital video could wind up on Peacock, um, which is NBC streaming service, but it could also wind up on the NBC channel on YouTube um, or it could wind up in the app the NBC app on somebody's cell phone. Well, all of those require different asset formats. Um, and when you're doing that upfront buy, you may not know exactly what's going to land where. And so you have, have a planning challenge upfront in that you own a bunch of inventory, but in this new world, you don't know exactly where that inventory is going to land and when, because they don't tell you 20% of it's going to be on Peacock and 20% is going to be on YouTube. You've just bought NBC, digital inventory. <laughs> so, so that's really hard um, because all of those different environments, oh, some of it could wind up on Roku. And each of those environments requires something different, maybe measured differently in terms of the data that comes back. Certainly the creative that's required is different. So it's going to take a while to sort of figure out how to standardize around some of these things. And then even when there are standards in place, and I think the IAB Tech Lab has been working really hard at this, and, and, and we've been working with Angel, Angelina and the team over there. Um, for example, there is a new standard for VAST4 that would solve a lot of the, the measurement problems by standardizing the data that came back. The problem is, very, very few publishers have actually implemented the VAST4 standard. And so as you go from publisher to publisher, who's still on the old VAST 2.0, who's on VAST 3, maybe somebody has advanced to 4. Um, and so you, you don't have a lot of consistency yet in terms of what's available coming back, but we'll get there. It's not for lack of wanting to. These require technical upgrades and there's engineering involved and um, and and it's it's still early days. So um, we're, we're all going to have to do the best as we can and learn and share as much as we can uh, while the industry catches up with the consumer. 
Great. I'm going to shift us away from the data and tech side of this topic to the human side. Yes. We've spent some recent podcasts with other guests talking about managing and optimizing talent. Having run some very successful companies and teams in emerging media, do you have anything you can share about how you lead and grow people in a time of such change? Well, I, I don't know if it's any different in this time of change than it's ever been, because I would I would argue from day one of ad tech, there's been nothing but change. So I'm not sure that the change is any more or less today than it's ever been. Um, but I, I, I can tell you what, what we try to do um, and what we believe. And first is, is I really try to hire for horsepower um, and, and, you know, in, in, a, in an environment where change is the only constant, you need really bright people who are constantly able to absorb and process the new, the stream of new information that's coming in as things are changing around us. And, and even more than the horsepower, have the intellectual curiosity to want to understand what's new and what's changing. So, so to me, that's, that's the first thing that we look for because you, you can't teach that, right? Um, then, then the next thing I, I think is really, really important is to recognize that culture matters. And it and culture doesn't happen by accident. You 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 as a management team, you have to define and engineer the culture that you want. And and we think a lot about that. We think about the heroes that we want to celebrate in the organization and what what people take away from that. Um, and and we, we really think about the kind of leadership example that we set as an executive team in terms of how we work together. And we try to make that very transparent um, to the organization. One of the things that always shocks people joining Flash Talking is that we share everything with the team. They know our financials every month. We tell them, you know, when we win clients, when we lose clients, when we have a good profit profit month and when we have a bad one and what that means for them and how it relates to how we calculate bonuses and commissions. And so there, there is a, a, a real transparency and a belief that we're all in it together. Um, and, and, and it's genuinely important to us that we, that we create that um, and that everybody feels that way. So transparency and then authenticity and, and accessibility is really important. Um, I invite every new employee in the company to have coffee with me. My assistant schedules it uh, four to six weeks after they start. And I tell them, I want to talk to you while you're still new enough that we haven't brainwashed you, while you still have an outside perspective. But you've been here long enough to know where the bathroom is. Um, and uh, try to have that one-on-one -on -one with each person joining the company. Now, we're only 300 people, and I know... Bigger companies can't do that. There's too many people coming in, but we're still small enough that I, I can do that um, and, and try to establish that that connection with people coming in that they feel like they can pick up the phone and call me if they have if they need help or if something needs to be called out. Um, and, and then the last thing is you got to provide genuine opportunities for people. Um, and we spend a lot of time, we're, we're fortunate that we're a global company and, and a lot of people have taken advantage of the fact of moving to different markets. Um, we're actually an English company. And so if you come to our New York office, um, there are a lot of people with English accents in the office. It's a big deal to get to come to work in New York if you live in London or Leeds, England. But likewise, we've moved people to Australia and Germany and, and, and all over. And that's part of the value proposition uh, of working at Flash Talking is you get to, um, you know, work on different markets and, and we really try and move people around within positions 
and challenge people to grow horizontally as well as vertically as, as part of the company. So um, making those value propositions uh, transparent and, and, and understandable so people feel like even if they can't move up because maybe they're blocked by a senior person, they can they can grow horizontally or, or zig or zag in their careers and, and have opportunities to grow. John, I know how, how much passion that you have about certain topics. And one of them at the top of the list is, what is a world without cookies <laughs> being like for, for not just digital marketing, but all of marketing? And what does that mean for, you know, brands being able to, you know, interact with not just their prospects, but their, you know, logged in consumers and make it, you know, a personalized experience. So where are we? in the march to a cookie-less world and how are you helping brands get there well the first thing i will say is despite the hysteria we've all got to calm down and buy into the fact that targeted advertising is not going away cookies will go but something else will fill its place and and there are a bunch of things emerging you know there's the, the turtle dove and the various different targeting schemes that Google is coming up with as ways to target but obscure the personal data. And then, of course, there's the work that companies like LiveRamp and Newstar are doing to use hashed emails as the foundation of a, a, a new identity framework. Um, we have our own um, cookie-less technology called F-Track, um, which is not available in the bid stream for targeting, but is in use by 120 clients around the world, probably has the largest footprint of any cookie-less technology in the industry today. Um, and it's used mainly for, for reach, frequency, attribution, and advanced analytics for clients. Because frankly, even with cookies still existing today, cookies are pretty poor basis for actually understanding what's happening with consumers. So uh, F-Track has value even before cookies go away, which is why we have the traction that we have. But in a post-cookie world, we won't miss a beat. It won't matter to flash talking at all. Um, but what, but what, what people are starting to figure out is that even with these new identity solutions from Newstar and LiveRamp and so forth, until this point in ad tech, all of those solutions rode on top of DoubleClick essentially they were tags that were attached to the double-click ad server. And that's not gonna be allowed anymore in the post-cookie world. You already can't get the data file out of double-click. It all sits in ads data hub now. So you can't use Google as a transport layer if you're one of these identity platforms. And so even if a client isn't using F-Track, um, we're finding a really important role that we play is the pipes or the transport layer to move that data around to the places that it needs to get to, whether that's to your bidding platform, whether it's to your analytics platform, whether it's to your data partner. Um, you know, we're providing that service today for clients. Um, the product is called ID Connect, um, and it essentially allows us to move and combine the data across the different players in your ad tech stack. Um, it's not sexy. It's one of those things that, you know, nobody thinks the pipes are sexy until you realize, oh God, without the pipes, I can't move things around. And then they become really important. Can I come back to you on a question there? Like, help me, I'm in the remedial room on this one. So, you know, if you're logged in to say yep. your bank, so right. I, you know, I, the, the terminology, 
first party cookie that's like a bad term right it doesn't really it doesn't really reflect what's going on there but how are let's take two different advertisers the bank right logged in and then any other type of maybe of cpg marketer Mm-hmm. that doesn't have the ability or has never really invested in having a first party relationship how how are those two advertisers or marketers thinking about this new world differently yeah well the first thing you have to understand is that first party cookies only operate on the client's own website or their own domain so just because you're logged into your bank doesn't mean that that bank can still see you once you've left their website. So if you log in, if you're at you know, B of A and you log in and you've done your banking and then you go look at Yahoo Finance, they can't see you anymore. You're, you're invisible to them. And that's what first party means. So once you're off of their website, there's not a whole lot of advantage that that first party ID gives them from an advertising standpoint, gives them a lot of advantage from a MarTech standpoint um, in terms of being able to stitch together their own data, but not off of their own site. So from a CPG standpoint and a banking standpoint, not a whole lot of difference there. Here's the where where the difference comes in. When you start to layer in one of these I, I call hashed email solutions, whether it's new star or live ramp or full throttle or throttle or full contact and there's a whole ad store, there's a whole bunch of them popping up. What these guys have done is they have created um, or allowed you to create a linkage between the offline identity as represented by an email and your on- online identity. And so if you can link that on the website when the advertiser has access to their first party ID, now you can carry that linkage with you through that identity partner and that's what a live ramp or a new star is providing in these new services so essentially that's following that that person or that identity right that you don't you 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 lose the fidelity of the exactly who it is because you have to respect their privacy but a linkage for advertising purposes still exists that you can essentially decrypt later, if you will. Um, so it, it, these are really interesting ways that, that people are figuring out how to respect privacy, but enable targeting and tracking. Another really interesting company, if you haven't run into them, is called Infosum. Um, it's a UK company. Um, uh, Brian Lesser's uh, oh, on the yeah. advisory board. I'm sure you know, know, know Brian. Yes. Um, and what they provide is a clean room technology so that an advertiser can bring their first party emails, the emails of their customers, and match them up with the publisher's logged in users in order to affect a media buy. But InfoSum sits in the middle and makes sure that that data doesn't cross. So the advertiser never sees the publisher data and the publisher never sees the advertiser data, but InfoSum facilitates the transaction so that the media against those IDs can be purchased. Um, and they're doing some very, very clever, clever things to enable that to happen at scale. Um, so, so the the announcement of cookies going away has spurred a ton of innovation, um, and that, and you know there are a lot of really clever people in our industry, <laughs> and that's why I say don't worry, there'll be some, there, there won't be cookies, but there'll be something else targeted advertising is not going away. 
That's so interesting. Um, you know, we know that marketing teams are under a lot of strain with a lot of different big initiatives to manage. If you were a CMO, what transformational initiatives would you put in place to really take full full advantage of these opportunities? Well, there, there's there's three that I would say would come to mind first. One is something I've always been passionate about, which is the idea of extending user experience to the brand. Um, even brands that are, you know, service-oriented brands have been on this for a long time. You know, when you fly Delta Airlines, you're not just buying a, a seat on a plane, you're buying into an experience for how you're treated in the airport and, and so forth. But physical brands need to think the same way in terms of what gets wrapped around that physical product in terms of how that it creates an experience before you buy it, when you buy it, after you buy it. Um, and, you know, more and more consumers are expecting brands to be able to provide service. And, and I always sort of cringe a little bit when I hear things like, you know, brands wanting to have a relationship with their customers. I don't think customers want to have a relationship with their brands but they do want to get service from them. <laughs> and I think it's a little different. <laughs> um, it, and so thinking about that and thinking about how to wrap the brand experience is something I would challenge every CMO um, to do as there's more and more opportunity to put you know, services on this phone related to a brand that creates benefit around that product. The second thing I would say is we, we have the opportunity to, or the necessity even more than the opportunity to redefine what great creative is in this new environment. I, I, I think we're, you know, at, at a, a low point in terms of creative quality in our in industry. Um, and it's largely because for two factors. One, the environment has become incredibly fragmented um, so, you know, it used to be come up with a great creative idea and you create a 30 second and 60 second and they could run everywhere. You, you don't have that anymore. Now you come up with an idea and you have to think about how to execute it in 17 different formats. And that's, you know, just for the open web. And then you got to go to Facebook and Twitter and think about how does it exist in these environments? So that's really hard. But also what great creative is in an environment where you have data-driven personalization is, is really a new idea because you can't just take a piece of creative and then personalize it. The personalization has to be part of the idea to start with. Um, and, and that means really thinking about your whole creative process differently. It starts with how you brief, brief your creative teams. Um, we sit in a, in, in a time when the pendulum is swung toward the media folks really driving the whole process the media folks have the data they're setting the audience definitions they're driving the process and as a media person i kind of love that but i kind of recognize as well that it, too often we're leaving the creative guys behind and they're running to play catch up and just production fulfillment and are really not given the opportunity to to do what they could be doing to come up with really transformative, transformative creative ideas. And I, and I think that's a real challenge for today's CMO is to, to get the pendulum back in a, in a more middling place where media and creative are more equal partners at the table. And the, the creative teams have the opportunity to have the data and the insights in, in, in the time and in the process 
that they need to really come up with breakthrough ideas. Um, and then last, TV is transforming before our eyes um, with the advent of streaming. And you know, one of the things I point out to people, just based on your own experience of how much streaming and binge watching that you're doing on stations that don't have commercials. <laughs> and, and I think we're getting very, very quickly to a place where premium, where ads and really premium inventory are going to become really scarce because people who can afford it can afford to avoid advertising now. And so the opportunities that we do have to get in front of certain segments of our population are going to be more, much more scarce and become much more expensive. And then we're going to have a two-tiered sort of system where for the folks who can't buy their way out of advertising, now that's a totally separate media plan for the rest of everybody else. Um, and, and I think there's some real challenges that we're going to have to think about in terms of thinking differently um, of how we engage our customers, particularly those socioeconomic customers who can pay to avoid advertising. So those those are three things I could probably rattle a few others, but those are the, the things that I'm I'm thinking about a lot lately. <laughs> Oh, wow. I, I can't believe how fast our time went with you. And I can't believe how much I learned. You really made me think about a bunch of things there, especially answering that last question. And um, I also had to learn something. I realized I never knew what cookies even meant. I know what they are, but I didn't know where that term came from. So I Googled it. And now I bet all our listeners are going to Google it too. <laughs> so before we conclude, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners that wasn't covered? Well, I, you know, I, I always like to sort of share cool things that I'm I'm seeing and, and um, I, you know, again, we're not in the buying space, so I have no horse in, in any race, um, but I saw the new integrated um, linear digital TV planning tool that Amobi built, and I was really impressed. It was really cool. Um, I have not seen anything like that. Um, I don't think there are a lot of good planning tools yet for this this new world, and you know certainly it's it's early days for Mobi too. But um, you know you guys should take a look at that because um, I, I think it's uh, at least pointing in the direction of where the world is going to go. Um, and uh, and they and they did some really smart things. If you guys know Phil Smolin, um, he was uh, one of the founders of Turn, um, so another digital veteran who's been around a long time. And I always follow the stuff. Bill does, and uh, I was not disappointed. Um, so that that's that's one of my favorite discoveries of the last few weeks. Oh wow, we'll have to check that out. Um, well, John, thank you so much. This we really appreciate you being on today, and you know I think we covered a lot of good topics that we would just you know look forward to maybe even bringing you back in the future if we have that opportunity because I think we all learned so much and it was a great discussion. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. And I'm I'm so excited for you guys. Best of luck in the new venture. You guys are going to be buried with work in no time flat and you won't have time for podcasts anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thanks, thank you John. very much. We really appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you as well.